I think we're going to have a quasi soft landing in, 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 in 24. And I think the copper, the inability for copper to get through $4 per pound in U.S. dollar terms is, I think, uh, indicative of the fact that they, a quasi soft landing or, or soft recession is, is incumbent. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Eric Chemi. Today, we have so much to talk about because of what the Fed is doing and how it's impacting not only just the regular equity and bond markets, but the commodity markets as well. My guest today is Dennis Gartman. He's been a Wall Street fixture for nearly 50 years, the editor and publisher of the Gartman Letter, that anyone who's an investment professional, they know it. They've probably been a subscriber, a reader. It was certainly when I was a young employee working in my hedge fund job, the billionaire owner said to everybody, um, to me, especially on my first day, sign up for the Gartman letter. It's mandatory reading when we're here. So I'm, I am just thrilled to have Dennis Gartman here. You've done so many things. I know you've even taught classes to people working at the Fed. So they've been learning from you about the things that they're doing. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me today. It's an honor to be asked, Harry. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, a pleasure. And let's see what we can do with this today. Let's see. So first thing, you know, here we are in December, first half of December, gold is hitting all time highs, right? And a lot of people say, or, you know, nominal all time highs, not, not inflation adjusted, but nominal highs, people are buying gold. And usually it means, okay, the weaker dollar, I don't trust the economy. I need hard assets. I need something safe, even though gold doesn't yield anything, you can get treasuries for 5%. What is your perspective on watching this gold rush over here? I, I've been bullish of gold for the past several months, actually for the past several years, predicated upon the fact that the Fed had begun the process of easing monetary policy 19 and 20 months ago. And that was going to be, I think, supportive of gold prices. It clearly has been supportive of gold prices. And uh, as the chairman of the University of Akron's endowment, I actually got us to do something very unusual for an endowment. We, we sold 3% of our uh, equity position almost 24 months ago and bought a 3% position in gold, which has proven to be quite uh, valuable. It's, it, it hedged uh, our inflationary concerns at that point. And, and I continue to recommend uh, owning gold as a, as a hedge against geopolitical circumstances and inflationary pressures that seem to still be extant in, in, in the markets. So I'm, I'm quite bullish of gold. Now, having said that, yesterday, Monday, was quite an extraordinary day. The fact that you had gold up almost $100 an ounce and it finished almost $50 an ounce lower, you had what the technicians will call an outside reversal day, which tends to uh, mark important tops. Let's just say there's an interim top that has been put in the gold market for a while. I doubt that we're going to take gold back below $22,000 per ounce, but uh, we, uh, we got up to uh, $2,270 per ounce yesterday morning, and now we're at uh, $20 and 2031 30, 30, 35 or $40 an ounce. Quite a, quite a move in the last 48 hours. So I've still been bullish of gold, have been for a while, and I, I continue to hold it for the university and for my own account. How far does it have to rise before you are not bullish anymore and maybe you're calling up your endowment buddies and saying it's time to start lightening up on gold three thousand dollars now seems to me to be a reasonable expectation over the course of the next several years it's not going to get there next week it's not going to get there next month it's not going to get there this next year it's not going to get there in the next four or five years but i think over the course of the next 10 years gold gets to three thousand dollars per ounce without too much difficulty so i i i will continue to think that the bull market the move from the lower left to the upper right, which began several years ago, is still extant. And I think $3,000 an ounce is a reasonable target. Time shall tell. We'll see how things are prevailing at the time. We'll see how the monetary authorities are acting at the time. 
We'll see what geopolitical circumstances are prevailing at the time, but let's call $3,000 an ounce a reasonable target for the next several years. You know, help me understand, because I'm, I'm certainly not a gold expert as much as you are. When I see easy money, right, when I think about the old version of the Fed, the QE, the 0% rates, all of that, it would make sense to me that, okay, gold would rise because that's very inflationary. You want some hard assets. You want things that are going to move with nominal rates. In a world where they're trying to cut down on inflation, they're trying to do this 5% thing, doesn't that hurt hard assets like gold? Like, where am I missing the, the plot here? Actually, gold has two, there's two reasons to buy gold. One is for inflationary protection. The other is for geopolitical risk protection. And I think at this point, the geopolitical risk protection is probably 70% of the valuation of gold. Clearly, the, the Fed has begun in the course of the past several months to, be, to take on a, a much tighter monetary policy. I think that's about to end probably sometime in 2024, 2025. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to the fact that the Fed will begin easing money again. But for the last 19 months, the Fed has been tightening monetary policy and has taken the overnight Fed funds rate from zero to call it five and a quarter, which would be on balance deleterious to gold prices. You have to be impressed, however, the fact that gold has risen even in, even in despite or in, in, in the light of the Fed's uh, arguments that it wishes to get inflation back to below 2%. So when something doesn't go according to what you think common sense would, would originate, you have to be impressed. So I'm, I'm more and more impressed by gold's ability to hold its, its strength, despite the fact the Fed has been, uh, ha, has been uh, detrimental, deleterious to, to gold prices over the course of the last 19 months. That's, that's true. It's, it's up in spite of that. What about- it's, it's up in spite of that. That's exactly the point. What about Bitcoin? Everyone calls it the digital gold. It's another place for when they think about inflation and geopolitical assets. Has it <laughs> competed for market share against gold in the sense of, oh, I could buy gold, but now I could buy Bitcoin instead? Do you, are you seeing that dynamic? Yes, there, there's clearly that's, that's a, a circumstance that prevails at this point. Bitcoin is the kid's gold. Gold is the old folks' gold. And I, I have not, I, I don't understand Bitcoin for the life of me. I shall never understand Ethereum for the life of me. I understand the, the computer technology behind it, but why somebody would wish to buy a, an ethereal replication of money out in the, in the atmosphere somewhere is really quite beyond me. So the kids get it. They understand it. The under 35 seem to get hold of it. They, they are, they'd rather own that than gold. We old folks, uh, we old in the old guard, will continue to hold gold. It's just uh, no question. Bitcoin and Ethereum and the rest of them are competing with gold, and you have to be impressed. It's another reason to be impressed by gold's ability to to hold its gains, despite the fact that uh, the the kids are buying uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, it's funny. If, if gold, what do you say? So Bitcoin is kids' gold, or you could say gold is old people's Bitcoin. Yes, I will go with either direction. That's exactly correct. Gold is old people's Bitcoin. Yeah. So this is what we. This is the Bitcoin we had before kids came around. With before the internet, we couldn't do couldn't do it like that. The other commodities, like when you think about copper, you think about silver, you think about some of the other metals, some of the mining metals as well. What are you seeing in terms of the Fed's impact on these commodities? Is there anyone in particular that's standing out to you? First of all, let's talk about silver. Yeah. I don't trade silver. I let other people trade silver. Silver is far too volatile for me as an old guard, old guy. You don't trade it well, now, or you never traded it. I I used to trade it when in my twenties and thirties. I haven't okay. traded it since I am seventy three years old, and I haven't traded silver in probably thirty years. Okay. I leave that to people who are uh, 
more aggressive than I am, more facile at trading than I am, more amenable to volatility than I am. I'll, I'll leave that to others. Copper makes sense to me as a as an industrial metal. Copper, as we used to say, copper has a, a master's degree in, in economics. People used to call it and said that copper had a PhD in economics. I say that copper, tin, aluminum, uh, and, and the, the industrial metals when aggregated have a PhD in economics. They tend to tell you, they tend to strengthen in strong economic environs. They tend to weaken in weak economic environs and they tend to lead in both directions. And I think that the fact that uh, copper in the past several days has begun to, to deteriorate tells me that weak economic environs are about to happen. So I'll, I'll trade copper as an industrial metal. I'll trade aluminum as an industrial metal, but I'll leave it to wiser, saner, more aggressive traders to trade silver. The volatility of silver just bothers the, the living tarnation out of me. If you, if you ignored the volatility and you just looked at the general trend on silver, is there any information that it can tell you in the way that the copper is giving you economic information? In bull markets and the metals, there's no question. If gold's going up, silver will go up farther and faster. If gold's going down, silver will go down farther and faster. Silver leads gold in both directions, higher or lower. And the fact that silver has been leading over the course of the past several months to the upside over gold it keeps me involved in the in the metals market on a bullish from a bullish perspective. But uh, it's again the volatility of silver bothers me greatly. But in in bull markets, silver will out outpace gold. In bear markets, silver will outpace gold to the downside. It's been that way for for decades. It shall always be that way. Will silver top first and then go down first before gold tops and goes down? Like when you think. 10 years from now. Usually that's the way it happens. Okay. The So the copper, I always thought of it was Dr. Copper, right? I always thought copper at the PhD, but you're telling me copper by itself is a master's in economics, but you need yes. the tin, you need the aluminum, you need everything else together to get the full PhD coursework. That, that, that's the, th you get your thesis uh, written when you, when you use aluminum, tin, zinc, copper and look at them together. Zinc too. Okay. I, 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 would, I became famous a couple of years ago when I said that copper merely has a master's degree from a secondary institution. <laughs> the, the signals that you just mentioned, and I want to get into that more, copper starting to deteriorate. So are you using that or looking at that as, okay, we are starting to see maybe some kind of hard landing, some kind of recession, some kind of pullback. Because I'm seeing a lot of mixed signals. We have these conversations. We got some real hardcore bulls and we've got people that say 80% chance of a hard landing in 2024. The real wide range of spectrums here. I think we're going to have a quasi soft landing in, 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 in 24. And I think the copper, the inability for copper to get through $4 per pound in US dollar terms is, I think, uh, indicative of the fact that they a quasi soft landing or, or soft recession is, is incumbent and, and, and that's that's what's coming. So that's been my thesis for a while. I continue to hold to it. Time shall tell whether I prove to be right or not. What are the other factors in that thesis? What are, what other data points are you looking at? The fact that money growth has been negative over the course of the past several months bothers me greatly. That's one of the reasons why I tend to err bearishly on stock prices. Uh, for a while, the Fed had been uh, allowing the monetary aggregates to to move violently from the lower left to the upper right. And the over, in the course of the past year or so, the monetary aggregates, especially uh, M2 and beyond, have been moving from the upper left to the lower right, moving down, going negative in many instances. And so, too, as uh, the, vol the velocity of money. And that bothers me. It's one of the reasons why I've, I've been wrong in November about the stock market. I was right for a long period of time being bearish, but I've been wrong in November 
and I admit that openly and, and, and uh, without uh, hesitation. But I think that uh, the fact that the monetary authorities have been uh, have allowed the monetary aggregates to go into negative territory, I think, should be illustrative of, of weakening and weaker economic environments as we go forward. Time shall tell, but uh, that uh, that's the one thing that I look at more than anything. I grew up as a monetarist. I've always been a monetarist, and uh, I shall always be a monetarist. I think that monetary theory is the is the better way of forecasting economic activity. And the fact that the monetary aggregates have gone to negative numbers bothers me greatly. What does that mean exactly when you say a monetarist? Because I'm not even sure I 100% know when I hear that word, how I should think about it. I'm sure some people in the audience are probably thinking, what does that mean relative to what are some of the other frameworks out there? Well, Keynesian economics uh, means that it pays attention to the fact that governments spend and, and, and increase spending or, or decrease spending depending on their forecast for economic environs. A monetarist, uh, at, at basis, at basic, looks only at the 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 data that the the monetary authorities put out regarding the the creation of or the the expiration of uh, monetary uh, monetary figures. So I, I watch M two and I watch the monetary base more than anything else. The monetary base is the Fed's purchases is dictated by the Fed's purchases or sales of Treasury securities. And for a long period of time, they were buying treasury securities, adding reserves to the system on, a, on an almost daily basis. And lately, they have been uh, rolling off those, uh, those assets, letting those assets disappear or, or, or mature out, which decreases the amount of money in the system. Uh, a, a, a pure monetarist would say that uh, money should grow at a percentage, a reasonable number of, uh, a reasonable accounting for population growth and non-inflationary uh, economic growth. Say the population grows 2% and non-inflationary economic growth grows 2%, then the, you should create 4% more money every year to accommodate those two major factors. When you go to 5 and 6 and 7 and 8% growth, you get inflation. When you go to 2 and 1 and 0% monetary growth, you get deflation and, and economic weakness. And so that I think monetarism, to me, makes eminent, reasonable, plausible sense. Okay. Okay. And so you're right. November, I think, shocked a lot of people, right? Kind of right from Halloween to December 1st, you saw this massive uptick in, in equity markets, but the major data hasn't changed. The M2 data is still the same. The, ma the major monetary data hasn't changed. So you wonder what's going on with this investor speculation that you know stocks are almost up 10% in that month, right? That's, that's a massive move for fundamentally no difference in the underlying thought process. I couldn't agree more. It's exactly my, my major concern. The, the Fed is actually decreasing the amount of money that it puts into the system. It's actually allowing about $65 billion worth of Treasury securities to roll off to mature each month. That is money that simply has, for all intents and purposes, has quite literally disappeared. And yet stock prices continue to go up. The economy seems to be doing okay. I'm stunned by this fact, and I have been wrong since late October through here we are the first week in December, and I have been manifestly, consequentially wrong about the direction of stock prices. No question about that. How does that work then? Let's say you're talking about that endowment, University of Akron. You, you got them into gold, but if all of a sudden the rest of your thesis may or may not be playing out, right? It's like, okay, if I'm wrong, what does that mean for students and faculty, and we've got to invest this endowment, but it's not just your opinion. How do you guys balance those discussions for these long-term investments? Well, first of all, as an endowment, you take a much longer perspective than I as a trader would take. 
we, we look at 40 and 50 year periods of time, 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 and 40 year periods of time. And there's no question that over the over 10, 15, 20 years, stocks move, especially American stocks move from the lower left to the upper right. It's just it, it, that's the way they go. So for an endowment to take two or three or four percent of its of its endowment out of uh, out of stocks and move into to uh, real assets, that's a consequential. That's an unusual change in, in environment. That's that's a big move. Nobody would ever go to zero percent percentage of zero percentage of uh, their endowment in stocks. They'd always keep it at least fifty or sixty percent, and then it just depends on which kind of stocks are you buying. Uh, the uh, the Russell, are you buying the the S and P? Are you buying the Nasdaq? That becomes the only really consequential terminology or, or investment posture change that you make. We took we actually took ten percent out of the stock market, put it into T notes and T bills that 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 paid off when. Uh, uh, in, in one year and two year periods of time predicated upon how much money we need to, to give back to the student body. Uh, and, w- and at the November meeting, we actually removed that 10% that we'd taken out ten, two years ago and moved it back into the equities market. I argued against it, but uh, <laughs> I was overridden by my membership and uh, well, they, they were smarter than I was. That's That's the crazy thing, right? You can look at the data Sort of like the way you said gold. Gold is up in spite of these things that would suggest that gold would go down. It's like equities are up in spite of these things that you would suggest make equities go down. Yes, and and I have to I, I fight that every day as I sit here and write a newsletter for once every two weeks, as I trade my own account, as I handle the 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 information for the university. I am conflicted, confused, dismayed, distraught, and wrong. <laughs> How can investors deal with that themselves? Most people don't have your level of success, experience, connections, wisdom. They're not writing a newsletter. They're dealing with the same uncertainty. How have you in your career worked on, I think I'm right, but the market is suggesting I'm wrong. How long do I go before I throw in the towel and give up? Because usually they say the market, what is it? provides the most pain to the most number of people, you know, the moment that you throw in the towel, that's going to be the top, right? No question about that. That'll, that, that will clearly be the top. Throwing in the towel is always the, the, the mark of uh, the, the, the end of a move. We used to say when I had my seat on the Chicago Board of Trade, we used to say that the, the market will do the most damage to the most number of locals on a daily basis. The markets in general do the most damage to the most number of traders and investors on a daily basis, on a month, weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and on a yearly basis. The the one thing that I pay attention to more than anything these days, I love the CNN Fear and Greed Index. It's, I think, one of the best indicators of, of overbought, oversold conditions in the stock market. And when that index gets above 70 and turns down, that tends to mark the top of stock market activity. When it gets below 20 and turns up, that tends to mark the bottom of, of, of stock prices and tends to give a rise to a bull market. We are at 70 right now, 72, I think, if I'm in the last iteration. So it, it, it tends to make me want to stay bearish of stocks. But as I said, from October, from the last week of October to the first week of December, I've been patently wrong. And the CNN index is starting is, is making me stay wrong for right now. Time shall tell whether it proves to be correct. Correct. Is there an amount of time or a data point? Like how long will you stay? Because I'm thinking about for people watching, for people listening who think, I agree with you. I agree with Dennis Gartman, but I'm getting scared. I'm just going to miss this entire move. It's going to run away from me. 
And yet I'm scared that if I, if I come in, I'm going to come in on the top. So I'm, I'm trying to get a sense for like, if you're that viewer watching and agreeing with you, Dennis, what advice do you have for them in terms of how long do they stay strong? How long do they keep that perspective up before they, before they eventually have to look at some other data point that says, you know, maybe you're wrong and you're never going to be right on this particular move? If the market moves 7% against me, I have to I have to start taking a, a, a different outlook, no question. And the market has moved 7% against me in the course of the past month. So I actually covered it. I'm, I've been a little bit short. I, the only trade that I have on in my own account at this point is I've been short of stocks and long of gold, which until, which through Monday morning was working really quite quite pleasantly for me. Right, right. Um, it, it, and since Monday afternoon, it's moved a little bit against me, one or 2%. And I've covered a few of my shorts and, and covered a bit of my gold and gotten a little bit smaller over the course of the past 48 hours just because the market has told me that I'm wrong. Uh, how much longer will I will I stay on the short side of the stock market? Another one or two percent to the upside or making a new high on good volume will cause me to reduce the, my short position again. Time show, we shall see. But what 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 I find amusing and most affecting is that the rallies have come on light volume. The breaks have come on heavy volume, and that tends to be the historical tendency of a bear market, not the historical tendency of a bull market. So there's there's a lot of technical indicators that that point to being overbought and and overextended to the upside. Right now, as a, again, I'll say I've been wrong. I, I I've been with you. At home, we had a, many discussions because a lot of the notes that you know someone in my household that was reading were a lot of bearish notes, and so we started to move move towards a lot of T-bills, getting out of equities. And and so now you're like, I thought it was going to come back down. I thought we would have an opportunity to get back in, but it, but it hasn't happened yet. And I, I'm afraid that the moment that we finally give up, that will be the all-time high. And it'll never The moment come back. that I give up will be the all-time high. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people, they think about commodities. It, in a lot of ways, they think of it like foreign exchange or options. You see more speculative gambling, quick hitters in terms of the investment community, people that know that equities, you stay for the long run. But I see a lot of people who think they can make a quick buck on the volatility of commodities. But, you know, people really lose their shirt that way. What's your advice for people that they think they're going to get involved in commodities trading or they've done a little bit, but they want to do more? The, the first thing I'll tell you is I, I think commodities are, are easier than the stock market, to be quite honest, because it really they depend upon upon hard data, crop sizes, uh, foreign buying, the, the the movement of the dollar higher or lower. I actually think that commodities are, are easier to understand than uh, than, uh, than the equity market is. For example, one of the rules that I follow when it comes to trading crude oil is watch the term structure. Watch how the front month trades against the back months. In a bull market, in a good Concerted bull market, the front month will always rise more than the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh future. And in a bear market, the front month will always lose more than the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth future. So watch how the term structure, as I've always said, term structure is where the the wizened fill of, uh, trade money leaves its footprints. And in, uh, we, we uh, two months ago, as crude oil was getting to eighty-five and ninety dollars a barrel. The front month began to lose relative to the second, third, fourth, and fifth contract. That's not how a good bull market should act. To me, that was an indication that the bull market was about to run its about to run to the end of its its tenure, and that crude oil prices were likely to continue to start to move lower. 
Now we've gone from having what's known as a backwardation where the front month was above the second, third and fourth and fifth to where the front month is now below the second, third, fourth and fifth futures. We have a contango market and contangos are always bearish. So I think that crude oil, for example, is much easier to trade than, than the equities market because of the inherent functionality of the term structure. I've become I'm rather bullish, for example, of soybeans at this point, not because of the crop size, but because soybean meal, the major component of, of soybean crushing efforts has gone to an inversion. The front months are above the back months. And, and that to me is you can't have a good bull market in soybeans unless you have meal inverted and meals inverted. I think that's impressive. Meal, good bull markets and soybeans always have meal leading soybean oil and meal has been leading oil to the upside and loses less on, on days on the downside. So I think that there are commodities are, are actually easier for me to understand, understand than, than the equities market on balance. There are, there are rules that apply. And uh, I, 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 I guess simply because of the fact that I grew up in the, my first job out of, out of graduate school was for a cotton company. And I learned to watch the term structure in cotton futures. I applied it to the to the crude oil futures, I applied it to the soybean meal, and soybean oil, and soybean, soybean grain markets, and they've been they work. It, it's it's to me it's consistent. To me there's there's visibility. To me there's there's transparency. To me there's a, a greater consistency of effort that that are incumbent that's incumbent in commodities. Now the problem with commodity trading is that you do it on such light light uh, amounts of capital incumbent in each trade. You can trade a contract of soybeans for what a thousand dollars a contract or something of that sort. So the the movement you, you get debited or credited to your account at the close of trading every day. You're marked to the market on a daily basis, and it tends to be highly leveraged. So you have to be careful. But uh, I, I think that there's merit in the in the commodity markets now. Now with the with the ETFs and wheat future and wheat ETF, a corn ETF, a cotton ETF, a a, a crude oil ETF. You can you can make better decisions trading. You don't have to trade the futures market with the high volatility. You can trade a much lesser volatility using the ETFs that are extant. And they're usually quite liquid and, and deep. And there's depth in the markets that uh, allow the retail investor, I think, an avenue that he didn't have available to him 10 years ago. Do you think there is merit in people who blindly, let's say, do a long term commodities ETF or they the, a basket of commodities because there's so many different kinds of commodities right you've got plants in the ground right cotton wheat things that grow that you can clothe people with or feed them then you've got gold right you've got metals either the you know, precious metals you've got the industrial metals you've got oil the commodities are such different kinds of things but a lot of yes. people try to bucket them together but by nature you know, some are liquid, some are solid, some are gas, right? Some are animals and some are metals. They're very different. And the problem with the basket ETFs is that they're always long. And on balance, most markets are, are in, in contango. Most markets, the back months are trade above the, 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 the nearby futures. And by buying deferred futures, you basically on balance are going to cost yourself money over time. Right. So I am not a proponent of, of the ETF baskets of commodities. I'm much more a proponent of the ETFs of the individual commodities. They that they make greater sense to me. The the fact that you're paying a huge contango to own most of the commodity market, most of the commodities in in the in the baskets to me is is a huge tidal shift, tidal wave that you have to overcome. That's very difficult. So I, I tend to t tell people avoid the baskets of commodities 
and, and, and focus either on the futures or focus on the individual commodity ETF. That makes sense, right? Pick a wheat ETF. Don't pick just an ag basket of a whole bunch of things that yes. is going to lose you money. Okay. Before we go, because you mentioned oil a little bit, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. What are you seeing there? You mentioned based on that term structure, you're looking at, at bearish oil right now. Is that right? Yes. And I'll continue to look bearishly uh, on, on crude oil until such time. And there shall come a time when the market is trading lower and the front month goes down less than the back months. That will be the signal that the bear market has, running its, has run its course. So keep an eye on that. Watch as, as crude oil prices decline and watch the front month begin consistently lose relative to the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth contracts back until such a time when you're down, the market's down a dollar and the front month is down 90 cents and the second contract's down a buck 10, the third contract's down a buck 20. That's not how a bear market should act. That's telling you that the bear market is running, is about to run its duration about to run its course and, and the market should shift from being bearish to being bullish. So pay attention to the to the term structure on a daily basis. Right now, I continue to say that the, the, the contangos continue to widen. The, front, the term structure continues to be bearish, but there shall come a time. Who knows when that time shall be? Maybe next week, maybe a month from now, maybe two months from now, maybe a year from now, when you, you had several days on the downside and the front month does not lose relative to the back months. Actually, a great period of time was several years ago when you had crude oil going to 100 to $125 a barrel. And for three or four days, the front month began to lose relative to the second, third and fourth. And I actually wrote at the time that was going to be the top in the crude oil market. It went higher for about five more days and then it broke violently. The term structure leads in almost every commodity. Pay attention to the term structure in storable commodities. The only place that that doesn't make sense is in the gold market because the term structure in gold is simply an, an interest rate consideration, nothing more than that. But in crude oil, in cotton, in soybeans, in wheat, in corn, in cattle, in uh, co cocoa, in sugar, the term structure dictates price movements. And and then lastly, you know, Wednesday coming up, Wednesday the thirteenth, we've got the final Fed decision of the year. We're expecting nothing there. What are you looking for? I'm mean, obviously nothing. We're, we're going to get some commentary. We're going to hear what they have to say, but we're not expecting actual movement in that in that policy rate. What are you looking for from that decision to set set up your thinking for 2024? 19 months ago, with the, when the overnight Fed funds rate was at zero, I said that the Fed's going to continue, is going to start the process of tightening monetary policy. And it was almost laughable at the time, but I said that the, that the overnight Fed funds rate will go to 5%. It's gotten to five and a five and a quarter. There's probably one more tightening, maybe in, in the Fed. The Fed does not want to be the, the Grinch at Christmas and probably will defer next week and, and use rhetoric to, to tighten the, mon the, the market. But the, I doubt that they move the, the overnight Fed funds rate to another quarter percent higher. Maybe after the turn of the year, they'll go one more time, but that's the most that they'll take it. They're done for all intents and purposes. But 19 months ago, I said they get to 5%. People laughed. It seemed laughable at the time. We're there. Now we'll see what happens. But I don't think they're going to tighten much more. If, if anything, maybe one more tightening after the turn of the year. The Fed does not like to be Grinch at Christmas. So they'll pass next week. That's that's funny. They don't want to be a Grinch. I didn't even think about that. That Christmas, that Christmas would actually impact their behavior. Um, Dennis, this is so good. I, I appreciate the clarity of your thought, how how short and sweet your answers are because you you really lay it out so nicely. And I, it sounds like your advice to people right now, you if you have that one trade, like your one trade right now, short S&P, 
long goal. Maybe that's the main takeaway. If you yes. learn one thing today, that's the thing to learn. That's the one thing I have on. I'm, I'm short the stock market. I'm long gold. And on balance for the past month and a half, it's actually worked for the past 48 hours. It's worked against me a little bit. I'm considering lightening up a tad. Time shall tell. I'd like to see spot gold trade above 20, 2045 before the end of this week. And I think we'll end up seeing the, uh, the S&P trade under 4,500. If it starts to move back in my favor, I won't hesitate but to add to the trade. If, if I can leave the people out there one, one piece of, of uh, advice, it's an old line, but it works in, in life and it works in trading. Do more of that which is working and try your damnedest to do less of that which is not. Add to winning trades, cut back on losing trades. That's the secret to trading. And if you can, if you, if you do it that way, you can be right only 40 or 50%. You can be right 40% of the time and still win. So do more of that, which is working and try your best to do less of that, which is not add to winning trades, cut back on losing trades. That's the secret to trading. That's the secret to investment. Thank you so much, Dennis Gardman. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show today. Eric, thanks for your time. And for those of you watching and listening, and you're not sure you got your finances right, like you heard everything we just talked about, you can go to wealthion.com. You can fill out a short form there if you want to get connected with an investment professional that Wealthion endorses. That's free. It's a public service we provide so that you can help get your family's finances on track. No obligation, no commitment. You can just have these conversations if you want to talk to a professional who can help you figure out what you need to do. If you don't want to trade all these things yourself, like we heard about how volatile silver is, you probably don't want to mess with that yourself. If you like this video, if you like this conversation between me and Dennis Garman, please like it subscribe it, share it, forward it, do all those things. That way more people can watch and more people can listen. Thank you again for joining us today. I'm Eric Chemi. We'll see you next time.